welcome to this week's episode of the Contact Centre podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Mitchell, and I'm the Features Editor here at Call Centre Helper. In this episode, we'll be looking at the topic of increasing customer engagement with Peter Massey, the MD and co-founder of Bud, a customer experience management consultancy that's worked with some of the world's biggest brands. Peter has 30 plus years within the industry and is known by many for his customer-orientated slogans, which we start our conversation by discussing. The challenge is to make sure that the senior management is pulling together that picture around the customer's journey and enacting business rules for contact or for support, which uh, makes sense to the customer. Not many logistics directors or marketing directors or sales directors will think that one of the key attributes of their job is to think about customer contact down the line. That's what they should be doing and that's what the best organizations do. What the people on the front line know about customers is just, you know, so deep and so experienced that any consultancy knows they, they go in, they'll go and sit down in the call center, they'll listen to calls, they'll talk to agents, and you can find out a lot of the answers. This episode of the Contact Center podcast is sponsored by Genesis. Genesis is the global leader in omnichannel customer experience and contact center solutions. More than 11,000 companies in over 100 countries trust the Genesis customer experience platform to help them connect effortlessly with consumers across any channel, voice, text, web chat, and social. If you would like to see a demonstration of the Genesis Pure Cloud contact center platform, visit callcenterhelper.com forward slash demo. You're quite well known to our listeners who have tuned into our webinar program um, for your customer service slogans, and one of which is stop doing dumb things to your customers. How can organizations find out where they are disengaging with customers? Well, I think the how do we stop doing dumb things to our customers and our people is is a phrase now that's uh, quite widely known, as you say. The dumb things are not necessarily because it's a dumb company that large organizations are complex structures and that necessarily brings in some compromises about uh, the way that things work. Problem is that quite a lot of the things that we do in supporting our customers, be that in sales or service situations, is uh, not useful to them and it's not useful to the company either. So those are the things that we call dumb things. You know, if it's an an irritant to the customer, an irritant to the company, why they're happening at all. And it behoves the company to to work on getting rid of the uh, the root causes of why those things happen. So when it comes to how can organizations find out where they're disengaging, it's, it really is pretty simple. The approach that we start with in our work is to look at why customers get in touch at all. What is the customer intent? The classic of that is logistics or retail would be something like, where's my stuff? And, you know, where's my stuff is is a situation where neither the company wants to have to handle that call and the customer certainly didn't want to make the call or the contact in the first place. So organizing your customer intents and understanding your customer intents really, really well is the first step. And after you've organized those intents and you know what they are, we use, as I've already mentioned here, uh, an approach about irritants. We take a very simple two by two, which is one dimension is the customer, 
The other dimension is the company. And if you imagine value and irritant for the company, value and irritant for the customer, you end up with those four quadrants. And the quadrant, which is irritant to customer, irritant to company, is where the dumb stuff is. The quadrant where value to company and value to customer is, is where you want to put your personalized assistance or you want to put your resources uh, to help customers in, in the maximum you can. The other two quadrants are interesting because if there is value to the customer but an irritant to the company, then that is the quadrant where you can automate, use self-service, self, um, et cetera. And that's because there is a value and the customer will work through your um, self-service. The quadrant where there is no value to the customer, but there is a value to you, typically that can be a regulatory letter, for example, or something like that, where the company's got to do something, but the customer is not necessarily seeing any benefit in it. That's the quadrant where you would simplify as much as possible but not try to automate because a customer is getting no benefit and is not going to work through the automation in that way. So uh, a couple of examples I've given Where's My Stuff as, as a classic example in retail in, a, in the irritant, irritant quadrant. A classic example is a change of address. I want to change my, my address or I want to change my details. You can, depending on the strategy you have for that customer segment, decide to put that in any of the four quadrants. And it does come down to how you do it and what your approach to it is. So some companies would say change of address is valuable to the customer because they lose the service otherwise. And it's valuable to the company because it's uh, an upsell opportunity. Other companies will turn around and say, well, it's it's an administrative task uh, that the customer doesn't want to do. So how can we simplify it as much as possible? You know, we want to keep the data straight. So the approach to your question, how can organizations find out what they're doing? to disengage customers is is really that very simple. What are the intents? What's the value to grid look like? Then what are you going to do about that? And that's the fundamental of that stop doing dumb things approach. And um, I think it's particularly interesting that, that that approach seems to have been developed through practice. And I was wondering if you have any kind of examples which particularly stick in the memory of organizations doing something dumb to their customers, but maybe not realizing and going through that process. Yeah, I, I mean, there are so many. I mean, typically, you know, we've worked in every sector and in every sector you find that something, you know, in the order of 40 to 60 to even 80 percent of contacts can fall into that dumb category. And retail is particularly like that. You, you're sometimes looking for what people call a perfect order where a customer knows what they want. They can find it. They can order it. They don't have to make any contact. And actually, a lot of contact in in retail or logistics is not necessarily dumb, but it's an irritant to customer and to to company. If I think of it in terms of, say, telcos, originally this approach to value irritant we developed way back in the 90s when Mercury One to One started. And they were overloaded with calls and we were starting to look at, you know, which types of call could be eradicated by being more sensible upstream. And I think, you know, the whole basis for the approach still works within telcos very, very strongly. Through the years 2009 through to about 2013, we ran a blind benchmark for the UK telcos and taking their data for contact rates, blinding it, and then showing them where they were up and where they were down in prepay, postpay, 
and online and um, and actually trying to drive the behaviors of the organization. Now, of course, it's, it's not the contact center director who's creating the contact. It's upstream somewhere in the product development, the marketing messages, um, the online uh, information, etc., in which if they're not set up to win, they fail to give the customer what they want in the, the circumstances that occur. So what one is really trying to do as a contact center director is to work upstream and get the rest of the organization to really understand contact rates and understand their part in eradicating them. And that is the fundamental, has been ever since we've been doing this approach, it's the fundamental of what a contact center center director does it, it's not being brilliant at contact that that is in many ways what a contact center director's job was uh, a director's job today is to be brilliant at understanding why contact occurs and using the contact that occurs to understand that and to to dig it deeply and to put the data analytics around it and then proving to his colleagues that it's worth them doing something about it rather than just he being seen or she being seen as the as the problem you know the contact rates have gone up that's not the contact center director's fault um if the contact uh, rates have gone up whose fault is it then and um, being really really clear where that lies and that's where detailed data behind those customer intents becomes absolutely fundamental Mm. I do think that kind of aligning customer communications point is very uh, important in terms of engagement, particularly because maybe the contact center will send the customer a letter in a week. The uh, research team will send a uh, email in the same week and marketing might send a SMS in the same week. So if you have all these uh, communications that the customer is completely bombarded by, they will eventually turn uh, tune you out. Yeah, I mean, companies are trying very, very hard now to centralize their, their data and understand the, the contacts that they cause themselves, the proactive contacts. And I think that has improved, but it's it's still, a, you know, it's an ever ongoing battle. It's not one that, you, that goes away. What is clear is that the technologies have moved on, and this is where cloud computing has helped a lot, the use of APIs and so forth to link systems and, and the ability to see, not necessarily to have a complete view, but to have a you know, a fairly close to complete view of what's happening to a customer in the journey that they're on. The, the difficulty is that the organization is not necessarily built around that journey. It's built in parts from, you know, reaching customers, selling things to customers, su supporting customers, billing customers, et cetera, et cetera. And so the challenge is to make sure that the senior management is pulling together that picture around the customer's journey and enacting business rules for contact or for support, which uh, makes sense to the customer. Uh, I'm a great believer in looking at the customer's hierarchy of support. You know, very often we're looking at the way that the company wants to see support. You know, we need to be brilliant at handling contact. We need to be brilliant at online. You know, we need to look at things that way. Well, actually, a customer looks at it the other way around. They, they say, well, I really want to do nothing, you know, for, for many, many situations. There are some situations when they do want a contact, for, say, reassurance on a complicated purchase or, you know, highly valuable exercise, a pension or a, a car or something like that. They may want to have a contact, but for the majority of the time, they want to keep it as simple as possible and do very little. Um, if not, then a lot of people fall into the category of wanting to do something themselves. You know, just show me how to do it and I'll do it really well. 
do it with assistance. You know, I may need somebody on the phone for part of what I'm doing, or I need to get you to do it. I know I want the company to do it for me. So, for example, if I think of it as a, a great company for, for this kind of approach is Nest, you know, the thermostats and the mm. smoke alarms, there's very little to do when you buy a Nest, but there is quite a lot of, you know, somebody, the electrician has got to physically, you know, wire it in or do something in particular. Well, the, the do nothing part of that is that everything is labeled, there are little labels in there, there are screws and screwdrivers that fit, there are all sorts of things that are there to make the minimum amount of work for the customer to help the electrician do what they're going to do or, uh, you know, a, a practice DIYer could do it themselves. And then if you need help and you go into the help function, you know, you're led through into that through from the device and through the mobile app, then the videos that are there are interactive. They they cover all of the circumstances that you might require. And they're extremely comprehensive in that they, they make you feel like you're quite capable of doing something, which otherwise you would feel you couldn't. So you're getting assistance and you're not necessarily having to get Nest the company to do anything because they've planned and designed the product from scratch to be, what's the word, not only you know tactile and, and nice to look at and that kind of thing, they've planned how to make it possible for amateur or a DIYer or an electrician to install this thing and make it work first time. And if it isn't working easily, you know, if that's not going easily, then the, the support levels that are there through the online tools are fantastic. So so that that's an example of a company looking through the customer's hierarchy of needs rather than just thinking about, you know, being brilliant at contact when the contact occurs um, in that way. Mm. I think that's um, an interesting point there that you said uh, most customers don't really want to do, uh, to do anything. And that kind of makes me think to another one of your slogans, actually, which is the best service is no service. Um, do you think perhaps over the kind of years that um, contact centers have started to take this a bit too far by eliminating all of um, these frictions within the customer journey that um, they've forgotten about the importance of customer engagement itself? Um, I, I would disagree that it's gone too far. There is a kind of 1990s debate we sometimes get into about, you know, no, no contact. But I think that's a misunderstanding of what no contact is. So best services, no service is best services, no need for service. In other words, the customer can choose to, you know, pick up the phone or uh, send an email or whatever in their circumstances where there's value to them you know, you want to support them in, in an appropriate way, be that online or, or be it with people. But we're not suggesting that all conversations should be eradicated. But for the majority of companies, we're nowhere near eradicating the dumb stuff. And therefore, there's a lot of cost absorbed and a lot of people's time and frustrations absorbed um, in, in, that, um, in those dumb contacts. So that's both the energy of the customer and the energy of the agent. Whereas if you've got to the situation where you've removed as much as you can or continue to remove as much as you can in the way that you know, Amazon has worked on this for 25 years plus, it frees up the resources. It gives you the headroom to really focus on engagement when it's appropriate. So there's no point trying to cross-sell on a call where you didn't get resolution of a, of a customer's problem. You know, that's the classic bad customer engagement. There is every point of talking to customers about what else they could do with the product after you've solved a problem or when they've made an inquiry, educating them about 
uh, the way in which they can do more with the product they've got. So it's about being appropriate. And again, I go back to that value irritant grid. That's an easy way of deciding what's valuable and where it's valuable and giving yourself some headroom by eradicating some of the noise. And when you've got that headroom, you can be much clearer about, okay, what kind of engagement do you want? So no service doesn't clash with customer engagement. It's almost a kind of utility type situation whereby you need to get rid of the bad stuff, the noise, so that you've got the resources to do the good stuff and get a lot more engagement going when you have the conversations. Mm. Makes me think a lot of the focus is still on customer journey mapping and kind of as we go through to improve customer journeys, maybe using the value uh, irritant grids. Are enough companies kind of involving other departments in kind of that activity? Yes, I think so. I, you know, over the last few years, certainly what you've seen is a lot of people do think end to end in terms of the journeys. As we've mentioned a couple of times already, organizations are not structured necessarily around those journeys, although some are and some have mo- are moving to that direction. But the problem of an end to end journey crossing organizational boundaries is one of the fundamentals of the way organizations are designed. And that's for the you know, the CEO to uh, to understand and to redesign at that level, because it's not something that even a senior director can do on his own. When it comes to customer journey mapping, I'm, I'm a great believer in understanding those journeys, but at the same time being quite tactical about, you know, where are the big pain points and what do they look like, and what you can do to fix them. So for most businesses that we go into, that there are so many low-hanging fruit, and most of them are known. It's not that these things are surprises. They're particularly known by the, the people who talk to customers all day. What really is lacking is, is the ability of the senior management to prioritize and to really attack with some, some longevity, not just a kind of analyze, right, that's the big stuff. We fixed a couple of things. Off we go. It's actually putting more of an ecosystem in. Um, but we often refer to it as the analogy of building an engine. You know, most organizations have got the carburetor and the engine block and the oil and the this, that, and the other. What they really got to do is assemble it properly, put some fuel in it, and then make it run well. And that engine is an engine for un- continually understanding customer need, for continually working on improving the root causes and continually working on better engagement from that. And um, it's that stamina factor, which often we find, you know, is a problem. Some organizations now we've perhaps worked with over three generations of management over the last 15 years in the same organizations. And the, the problem that the customer's got is still the same. The focus of management changes as as uh, senior people move job or take their eye off the ball or, you know, just getting interested in the next next silver bullet. And there are no silver bullets around customer engagement and customer service. It, it is hard graft, detailed analysis, detailed data, continually working back up the organization to, to improve what happens for customers and continually lobbying with, the, with your peer group to keep their attention on the contact that they can cause if they're not thinking about that as one of the fundamentals of their job. So not not many logistics directors or marketing directors or sales directors will think that one of the key attributes of their job is to think about customer contact down the line. That's what they should be doing, and that's what the best organizations do. And you particularly see that with you know the startup organizations, um, companies that are getting funded 
be it in you know tech city in london or all over the world that the one thing they're not thinking about doing is is building a big call center that what they're thinking about is you know how do we create an absolutely brilliant experience of the product great support experience online um and how do we make sure that we don't need to build you know lots and lots of call centers and that that's a fundamental that hasn't changed really over the last 25 years so whether you're an amazon you know founded in the mid 90s and still focusing on contact rates or you're a a world pay that really started to grow in the early 2000s we worked with them for five or six years then you know and and focus on what what you cause contact by or whether you're a startup today you know it, it is a fundamental to saying no we don't want to build contact we want to make this experience as the best it can be and that's that's the approach i think that a lot of organizations would love to have there is one problem of course if you're a big organization that you have a legacy somebody once said you know god created the world in 6 days but he didn't have a legacy and uh, you know it's a, it's a, it's a fresh organization there's no legacy data etc etc in a startup you can start an aim at where you want to go if you're in a large organization and trying to transform that then i think you've got to be really really what's the word uh, not aggressive but really focused on contact rates really focused on communicating with your your peer group and really focused on acting outwards from the contact center using the intelligence of the contact center rather than focused inwards into the contact center and that to me is the difference between a, a contact center manager and a contact center director you know which way do they face do they optimize what happens when the contacts there or do they optimize what happens upstream for the customer so that the contact doesn't occur Mm. I think uh, one kind of key thing I wanted to pick up on there was using the intelligence that's stored within the contact center as um one thing organizations are doing quite a lot now is to use the data through AI. I was just wondering um if you kind of could help us understand how organizations are using AI to predict when is best to engage with customers. Yeah, um I think I'm I'm not so sure about when they're predicting when's best to engage with the customer. Maybe maybe the 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 question ought to be how can you use AI to predict when a customer wants to engage with you the other way around. But nevertheless if you just take this this project more broadly, there's a sort of first layer of intelligence which has been there forever and and is always underutilized and that's what the the technicians or agents or people on the front line know about customers is just you know so deep and so experienced that any consultancy knows they they go in they'll go and sit down in the call center they'll listen to calls they'll talk to agents and you can find out a lot of the answers and you can find out a lot of the you know why are things not been fixed quite a lot of agents who've been there a few years have seen quite a few generations of attempts at fixing mm-hmm. things as well so there there is a native intelligence in the call center which doesn't always get used two reasons one culturally so does the does the senior management really value plunder that intelligence so that it's brought to bear and secondly is that often it's at scale so actually trying to scale up that intelligence means we end up sort of boxing or scoring or trying to bring that richness of the data into some sort of structured data and and that 
uh, in itself can remove some of the value. So, you know, the customer experience industry that's grown over the last 10 or 15 years um, is something which I think is now at risk. I think there are armies of people actually, you know, scoring NPS for this and that and the other and doing all sorts of things, but not necessarily extracting from that information the intelligence that the the agents have and that you can get from a conversation with frontline staff and and that leaves a hole which i think ai is going to uh, significantly address so let's just just go back from that then and say okay will ai replace or enhance the intelligence of what the agents know the answer is, yeah, it can do. But again, if you're going to apply AI and start to try and pilot things and so on and so forth, the start point ought to be mm-hmm. how do you engage your frontline staff who know what customers want? Because they will have, whether you're doing speech analytics or whether you're doing chatbots or you're doing uh, looking for trends in data, you need people to help that AI, to program that AI. And I'll put a caveat on that, that maybe you know this year, next year, sometime in the next couple of years, we're going to see a level of AI which is different from that and which can program itself, but that's early doors yet. Um, The majority of what people are talking about as AI today is either decision tree type learning, you know, a a person can work out decision trees, if this, then that, build up those decision trees and then have the AI program to, to match those decision trees, or it's machine learning, which is, you know, vast amounts of data from which the patterns can be extracted by the AI. Um, the, the third level of AI, or un, some people call it unsupervised AI, where the AI tool can watch what people do, look at what the best behaviors and patterns are, look at the best use of knowledge, and then extract that information for you and start applying it. That's really where it's going to get entertaining. I think we're on the cusp of that now. There are a number of companies. There's, there's one, Poly AI, which I've been helping in, in London, which is now at that point where AI will lead to a different stage. At the moment, everybody's claiming AI, but in, in practice, what we've got is copy a person or have it programmed by a person or you know plunder a, a shed load of data uh, to do the machine learning side of it. And that's, that's a different kind of approach. So going back to the topic being intelligence, you've got frontline intelligence, you've got three different levels of AI at least. At the moment, what you fundamentally want to learn with the AI, the agents probably already know. And and my advice is always to get the analysts together with the frontline staff because you can accelerate very quickly the way they program the tools and the way they get the, the juice out of the AI. And it's that people plus uh, humans which which matters and part of that is that the people concerned do understand the detail you can't work with ai without understanding detail and uh, i think that's a fundamental of, of the way you use it whether you're talking about rpa or speech or or ai applied to analytics more broadly so that that's sort of one end of intelligence i think what i'm seeing is that is a lot of people playing a lot of people piloting things people learning and i think that's the right approach because at the end of the day, the the AI that we've played with over, God knows, back to 2004, actually, we did some experiments with the BBC. Every experiment we've ever done has proven that the quality of the analyst is more important than the quality of the tool. So building up analytical skills in your workforce and in your senior managers 
is is one of the real fundamental challenges of this because ai is not just going to you know challenge the way we do work it's going to challenge the way we improve work and the way in which we um, look at our businesses one of the clients recently showed me a very interesting slide they're using which was looking at the analysis they get as hindsight insight or foresight so a lot of the data that they're getting is hindsight data it's historical data um the insight layer what's that historical data telling us you know there's a lot of work manually to try and extract that but across large workforces that's a real challenge to upskill your managers to be able to extract insight when you get to foresight you know what's the intelligence telling us we ought to do in future to engage better or to improve the way we operate or to to do those kind of things then the skill levels of of people in in a lot of contact center environments have got some way to go so that's kind of a you know an upskilling trend that's really really important and i think a lot of people are working on what's already worked and i think has has been really a big improvement is that there's been some democratization of some of the dashboards so things like power bi or tableau or click have started to be adopted around a lot of large scale organizations and they're allowing analysts in all sorts of corners of the business to build some really good dashboards some really insightful data so whether they're using ai or not they are able to maximize the insight that can be extracted from the data uh, through better visualizations better cross cross calculation from different sources the the quality of dashboards that um, people are producing has has gone up uh, considerably just because there's more of it going on and then the, the last bit is the use of those dashboards in contact center operations there are some really good setups now where the daily running of a contact center or this applies to back office as well there are people running dashboards and process boards effectively how do we run the center today what what have we done yesterday how did that improve what we did what do we learn from that what are the opportunities going forwards what's our focus this week where are our kpis at etc etc and and building that into a a standard set of processes which can be run as operational boards you know touch screens that kind of thing huddles and all the rest of it and and those kind of democratization of the data along with an operational focus for its use in order to get insight and foresight working from the from the hindsight data is a, is a, a sort of fabulous shift i think in terms of the quality of the way that some contact centers are operating yeah i think it's it's really interesting from what you've said there how ai is not just going to be plug and play systems that will only affect the customer how much in the future it will probably change the dynamic of the contact center all the way down to kind of advisors and using their own analytical skills which is something i don't think has ever been really considered um that much just kind of moving on now in terms of you mentioned there one really interesting organization who were kind of had this engagement strategy of using kind of insight and foresight from hindsight data through ai is there any other companies that really impressed you with their kind of customer engagement strategies moving forward? Yeah, there's it's always a common question, you know, who who do you follow? Who where, where what you think is good? <laughs> what does good look like is is always an interesting one. There's a couple of examples perhaps I would quote. One is DVLA, very interesting organization, you know, for car tax and driving licenses and stuff like that. 
and the, you know, a terrific amount of volume, a lot of political sensitivity, et cetera, et cetera. But I've done some really, really basic good stuff around using user experience labs um, to thoroughly understand what happens when somebody tries to fill in a form online or on a bit of paper or whatever it might be. And, and I frequently hear people talk about, you know, um, renewing their car tax as being a pleasure. You know, it's like three or four screens, bang, bang, bang. You know, the information's already there. And and that is, I think, an illustration of what large-scale organizations can do if they really put their mind to it. So DVLA is one I would quote. The other one I, I quoted earlier about Nest, but uh, another one I would quote about in terms of simplicity is AWS. Obviously, Amazon is a classic and is behind the whole story of best services, no service. And they've they've focused in the in the retail environment. They've focused on the contact rates for 25 years and, and never let up, uh, which is a brilliant example of stamina. But AWS, which has obviously grown out of Amazon and is you know absolutely vast, um, if you look at the AWS site and look at how easy it is to get assistance with what does a product do and how does it do it and how to configure it and so forth. Again, there's a huge amount of educational material in there, but the simplicity with which you can download some of the stuff is is quite staggering. And I think this is going to be really interesting with the whole contact center market because AWS and Google are, are now starting to focus on the contact center market and are bringing things to market which are very, very easy to deploy hugely capable and hugely connected and so i think we're going to see some really interesting things over the next uh, six to 18 months about how people start procuring their contact center and um, the speed with which they start to apply uh, latest generation ai in that environment so as an illustration of a company that's very good with customer engagement I think AWS is is, uh, is a is a fascinating website to have a look at and, and see what you can learn about some highly complicated products. But even if you're not technical, you can see an awful lot around it. So so those are some examples. I, I probably I looked at it the other way around and said, okay, where are we still seeing a lot of struggling? You know, the financial services industry. Has struggled with customer engagement and customer experience for for a long time. Spent vast amounts of money on it, but you're starting to see companies coming in now which are deemed by their customers to be much more effective. So I'm I'm a long term first direct fan and user of, but I've just opened a Starling bank account for the business because HSBC is pretty clunky, and of course it immediately appeals to me to go like, well, hang on a minute, what do they do that first direct don't do? in a banking environment, because most of my banking I'm now doing on a Monzo card, because the Monzo card is way better than the first direct mobile option. And so there's this kind of like, oh, hang on a minute, there's a whole set of fintech companies which are uh, coming on board with, with apps which are much more functional, much more useful, but most of all easy um, in that sort of way. So I think there's some real challenges for the uh, financial services industry um, in that respect. You mentioned Monza there. That's quite a new company. And maybe that comes back to your point earlier. These startups have kind of a more of a hold than the established organizations because they have less silos because it's a newer business and it's a newer um, organizations while the ones that do it well, especially. Um, yeah, the DVLA, 
Yeah, the DVLA um, example uh, with the uh, car tax was one that I had recently, and yeah, it was uh, it was uh, one of the most easy experiences I've ever had. So um, yeah. yeah, that was that particularly struck a chord with me. You know, if you're the CEO of of a large scale organisation, then you know the, this sort of digital transformation malarkey that's banded around the whole time is is really scary. Yeah. And you know, you you see people spending hundreds of millions and and more on trying to transform processes or transform organizational structures or cultures or anything else. And and it is really, really difficult because, you know, there's a talent war out there to get the very best people who think like customers think. And and actually when you start to look at the people who go to work for, you know, the Googles, Amazons, Facebooks and 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 Apples and so forth, their their CVs have great reputation on them. But actually, one of the key things that they've picked up while they're working for those companies is thinking like customers think. You know, Jeff Bezos talks about day one. You know, every day is day one. Every day is a startup. So Amazon does not behave like the mammoth organization that it is because it's totally focused on customers. And what I see in the tech startups in London is, you know, people with the, the fancy CVs of these you know, having worked in these companies, it's not that they've got a fancy CV. It's actually that they've learned to think like customers think. And and that is not impossible in any large-scale organization, but it really does take focus and it takes stamina. It's not, you know, it's not a quick fix. Absolutely. I think um, there's lots of uh, key takeaways for our uh, listeners today. Just as kind of a final uh, question, is there any way that our listeners can uh, catch you on social media if they want to kind of find out more about your, you and your consultancy, bud? Yeah, sure. To get a hold of me, the best bet is probably LinkedIn. See the profile on there, Peter Massey at Bud. And also, Bud website, I'll tell you uh, a little bit more as well at www.bud. That's B U D dot UK dot com. And uh, yeah, there's phone numbers and stuff like that on there as well. So always happy to chat to people about what they're trying to do. We have got quite a lot of um, material that we send to people when they're trying to do this themselves. Always happy to support people to do it themselves, as well as to be paid to do this kind of thing. And, and personally, I'm always interested in, in you know, the, the challenge that organizations have got. So we spend a fair bit of time on the conference circuit, but also going out to organizations and not doing the sort of paid diagnostic, but just having a look for a few hours with people and, and discussing with senior management teams what is it, what is it that they think they're trying to do, and helping you know set some direction on those kind of things. So you know, always up to talk to people at either a, an unpaid as well as a paid level. That's all for this episode. Thank you, Peter Massey from Bud, for joining us today. This episode of the Contact Centre podcast is sponsored by Genesis. Genesis is the global leader in omnichannel customer experience and contact centre solutions. More than 11,000 companies in over 100 countries trust the Genesis customer experience platform to help them connect effortlessly with consumers across any channel, voice, text, web chat and social. If you would like to see a demonstration of the Genesis Pure Cloud contact center platform visit callcenterhelper.com forward slash demo next week on the contact center podcast we'll be looking at the topic of quality assurance with fellow contact center podcaster martin teasdale the contact center podcast is produced by call center helper the leading contact center magazine 
You can subscribe to our podcasts or give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also access our entire range of podcasts through the Call Center Helper website by visiting callcenterhelper.com forward slash podcasts.